What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. We're still posting daily content over there. We are going to continue to do so for the next week until the season is done. The content will kind of slow down on the written side. I'm going to give the guys a little bit of a break. As the offseason starts, you obviously won't see two-start pitching and weather articles coming out for a little while. Uh, These podcasts are still going to be here. We're still going to be coming at you with daily shows. I'm not going to fully commit to going every single day of the offseason, but we're going to get pretty much every single day. I've never missed a day of the show, and I want to try and keep that streak alive. That being said, there might be a day in the offseason where I just decide to take the brakes off or, or take, put the brakes on, I should say, uh, and or maybe I'll let one of the other guys here uh, guest host an episode or something. We, regardless, there's going to be a hell of a lot of baseball content coming at you this offseason from myself and the rest of the guys at Sports Ethos here. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. I'm going to attempt to project every single player by hand this offseason. I'm not really sure how useful it's going to be. A couple of friends of mine within the industry did it last year. Justin Mason and Paul Spore, in particular, are the guys I'm talking about. And they said it's a worthwhile process. I trust those guys. Those guys know what they're talking about. So we're going to give it a go. We're going to be doing that. We're going to be looking back on this season as a whole. We are going to be doing a ton of stuff uh, off-season-wise. So even though the season's winding down, you might think, I'll listen to Joe ramble on for the next week until the season's done. Please consider staying aboard uh, because we are going to have a lot of fun content. But today is the last day of mailbags for the season. I've been doing them pretty much every single Tuesday for the second half of the year. I don't know exactly when that would have started. I'm guessing maybe in June at some point, maybe May. Uh, I can't really remember at this point. We've been doing them for a hell of a long time. <clears throat> I appreciate all you guys throwing your questions in there and you know, adding in the engagement every single week. If I didn't get questions, I wouldn't do the mailbags, but you guys seem to be fairly interested in them. Usually got between about 20 to 40 questions. It's kind of died down a little bit as the season has, but that's to be expected. Either way, really appreciate you guys trusted me with your questions with your teams. It's not a small thing to me to answer these questions. You guys have put a lot of thought into them. I know that you guys have a lot of money on the lines in your league. Some of you guys might play in free leagues, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Either way, I am very much committed and dedicated to helping you guys, even though a lot of your seasons are probably done, but there are still some of you guys uh, holding on here over the last week, and we got a couple questions regarding this week. we got a couple of questions looking ahead to next season, keepers, dynasty, and kind of just a mixed bag, uh, if you will. But let's start it off here with a keeper question. This guy, uh, who is unnamed, he's got a Braves kind of fan account here. Five keepers, head-to-head points. He's already decided on Strider, Olsen, J-Rod, and Carroll. Those are fairly obvious keepers. The fifth keeper could be any of the following. Ellie Dela Cruz, Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Glass now, and then he also names a couple of minor league guys, who I don't think are going to be in the running for that keeper. Uh, Jackson Churio and Junior Caminero could both have great seasons next year. Um, but I think that the clear question here, like he says, is Ellie, Grayson, Rodriguez, or Tyler Glass now? For me, I think Ellie is the only way to go. Ellie De La Cruz has been relatively disappointing for a lot of people this season because the hype was just crazy, and he did come up, and he was raking off the bat. Like, right away, he came up. He was hitting home runs. He was throwing the fastest balls we've ever seen, running around the bases faster than anybody. He's a spectacle. He's a total spectacle. And we probably overshot our expectations on him a little bit. He has 11 home runs, 33 steals. He's batting 229. He strikes out like it's going out of business the way he is striking out. 138 strikeouts in 93 games. That's a lot. But if you're looking at his 162-game pace, it's 19 homers and 57 stolen bases. 
that's pretty freaking remarkable for a guy with his first taste of the big leagues. Now, the question specifically hinted at the power with Ellie Dela Cruz. Are you worried about the relative lack of power and also the strikeout percentage? The strikeout percentage concerns me a little bit more than the power. I don't think in Great American Ballpark in the long run you're going to be really looking at this guy who hits the ball harder than anybody as somebody who's struggling to get the ball out. We've seen good power at all levels of the minors. 11 homers in this first 93 games is probably not quite what we were expecting. But that being said, I don't think you can look at Ellie De La Cruz as a guy who's ever going to hit less than 20 home runs again, especially if he stays a Cincinnati Red. There's no reason to think that he will not be a Cincinnati Red at least you know for the next five years of whatever arbitration until he actually is you know able to sign a proper contract. There's no reason to think he won't be in great American ballpark. I think that you're going to see between 20 and 20 is probably the low watermark of what you can expect power wise from Ellie De La Cruz. But I think conservatively, you can say 20 to 25 home runs. You might not get 57 steals, but I think you can probably pretty easily get 50 plus 33 of them in 93 games. That's no small feat. That's a huge stolen base number. Like, we have seen stolen bases trend upwards this year. Absolutely. But that still puts him right there. I'm just going to pull up the leaderboards here. Because even though he has only played half of a season, you're still looking at somebody who is... Where is he in terms of stolen bases right now? So he doesn't fall on the qualified uh, leaderboard here. If you just lower that down, he is ninth in terms of stolen bases. There is nobody else inside of the top 23 stolen base leaders this season who has less than 100 games. Ellie's done it in 93. The power is not really that concerning to me. The counting stats, which are 62 runs and 36 RBIs, not at all concerning to me. This team is going to keep getting better and better. They have one of the best young cores in all of baseball, and they are going to just keep getting older. They're going to keep getting a little bit better. And I know that development is not linear. We talk about this all the time. Just because you're a pretty good rookie doesn't mean you're going to be a little bit better as a sophomore and then just keep getting a little bit better every season. But when you look at the talent, Noel V. Marte, Dela Cruz, I mean, even guy like Jake Fraley, Spencer Steer, Friedel, India, if he's there, I'm not really 100% sure about that. But Encarnacion Strand, there is so much talent. These guys are going to get collectively better as a unit, and you will see Dela Cruz, number one, move up that batting order again because he's not going to be somebody that is consistently batting eighth in his major league career. It's just not going to happen. He's struggling as a rookie. He's down in the order. People are frustrated. Understandable. That's not going to be something you have to worry about in the long term with Ellie. I am still about as high on him as I possibly could be. He is pretty easily the guy I would take here. Now, I, I can understand wanting to go maybe with a glass now. There's not a lot of security that you have with a Tyler Glass now. I love him. I've ranked him as a top 10. I think he was 10th in my pitcher rankings, 10th or 11th. Um, he deserves to be in that spot. But at the same time, there's not a lot of background to health there. Dre's pitchers in general drop like flies. Glass now actually, you know, once he came back, he generally kind of avoided that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be putting him ahead of a position player. Generally, especially in Dynasty, you put the position player ahead of the pitcher. But especially when it's a guy with an, as much of an injury history as Tyler Glass now, I would have to go Dela Cruz. Now, Grayson Rodriguez is the other option here. I don't know that he's quite at that level yet. I think that he is well on his way to being an ace, and we've seen it over the second half of the season. But again, the position player is going to take is going to be inherently more valuable because he's playing five times as many games as the pitcher. I know there's five categories on either side, but especially when the guy has first-round kind of upside like Ellie De La Cruz, I don't know that Grayson Rodriguez has first-round upside. Eventually, I think he could. 
For next season, I don't know that I would say Grayson Rodriguez's potential range of outcomes is a first-round fantasy player. I think he could give you a top 50 or 60 season, but Ellie De La Cruz could legitimately next year finish as the number one player. And it would be surprising, but it wouldn't be awfully surprising. Uh, you know, it, it, trust me, it wouldn't. it's not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting it to be Ronald Acuna Jr., and I'm expecting Acuna to kind of have the same stranglehold at the top of you know ADP the way that Nikola Jokic does. If you play fantasy basketball... Not going to wade too much into those waters, but Jokic has been the number one player for like three years in a row, three, four years, whatever it is. I think Acuna is probably in that same boat if he's going to be the number one player for a couple years. But if Ellie De La Cruz goes out there and hits 30 home runs, steals 60 bases in that lineup, even if he's able to get the batting average up to like 270, 280, maybe not number one, but first round player, I think is very much within the cards. That's why people are talking about Ellie as a first round talent earlier this season. I sent out a tweet that got a hell of a lot of traction saying these are the guys that I would trade Ellie De La Cruz for. And it was a very short list of about eight, maybe ten players. And a lot of people answered back, and there were a lot of people were upset. And then, of course, people go after the fact and say, well, look at Ellie De La Cruz. He's bad, Nate. Bad take. Yeah, okay, it wasn't the greatest take. I will go out there and say it. But I think the logic still stands that you're not going to trade a guy or relinquish a guy in this case who has that kind of potential unless you are getting something stupid in return. I don't know, and it's not a direct return here, but Grayson Rodriguez or Tyler Glass now as opposed to Ellie does not make the most sense to me. If you are heading into a situation where Ellie is a potential keeper this offseason, it'd be very tough for me to not take him, unless you have one keeper or two keepers, and you have like Acuna and Betts or something. Like, okay, yeah, you're not taking Ellie at that point. But pretty much every situation, I would be I would be keeping Ellie De La Cruz unless your hands are really tied. And I think in most cases, you can probably make it work unless you're looking at a very, very small number of keepers. But let's move on to the next question. Uh, when looking at my minors keepers, how important is position? If I have Adley at catcher, do I keep Pizzolo? If I have Witt, do I keep Walcott? So the way that I'm looking at this is you have Adley at catcher, you have Witt as your shortstop. These guys are going to be cornerstone fantasy parts of your lineup, parts of your dynasty lineup for the next decade plus. You know, we, we really don't even know the heights that these players can reach yet. They're still, they're absolute stars, but they're still ascending. You have those positions, you know, barring anything absolutely insane, those positions are locked down on your roster for the next decade. I have zero problem trying to shop the young talent. Basalo is getting a lot of hype. Now, granted, I'm not a big dynasty prospect guy. Andrew DeSegli, who hosts the Farmer's Market Dynasty podcast here at Sports Ethos, he is the guy to more generally direct your, your questions to. But in this case, I have no problem answering. Those guys are not going anywhere. They are going to be in the starting lineup of your team for a very long time. Try and see if you can trade from your position of strength and try and bolster a weaker spot on your roster if you are really lacking starting pitching. Basalo and Walcott, both, I mean, Walcott still in, in high A, and I think Basalo actually might be A, or maybe maybe he got up to double A. But these guys are still very low-level prospects, but they are fairly highly regarded. We don't know what they're going to be yet. You have established Major League stars, superstars, arguably. Not even really arguably. I think Adley and Witt are superstars. I don't see that these guys are ever going to surpass what you're getting from Adley and from Witt. If they do somewhere down the line on another team, it's definitely possible, I guess. But if you're trading them and you're getting a nice return back, I wouldn't worry. You can you can trade good players and not have to worry about it. Not every single trade has to be 
I'm screwing over this guy and I'm getting a great asset for nothing. A lot of the time, you, you should be trying to do something that's a little more even. Even though these guys are likely to be pretty good players, we have no idea what a guy's going to be when they're 17, 18 years old in the low levels of the minors. Don't worry about, you know, well, what am I going to do with Rutschman if this guy pans out in three years? Like, I understand it. You have a great asset. Try and do something about it. Try and make a trade there uh, and see if you can, like I said, bolster a position of weakness from a position of strength that you currently have right now. Uh, Luis Robert is done for the season from the reports we are seeing. So the question I got here is need a bat uh, to replace him, Berger, Strand, or Kepler. I think it's Jake Berger right now. Jake Berger has been excellent. We're going to read a million pieces about Jake Berger this offseason. Now, their game is in a delay right now. There was some talk about whether or not the game was going to go on tonight in New York. But to go from the Mets pitching to Pirates pitching to end the season for Jake Berger looks like it's a pretty good plan the way that he has been swinging the bat he's batting 280 with seven homers over the last month if you look at the last two weeks three homers in a 366 clip you lower that to just his last 12 at bats he has five hits and a home run 34 bombs on the season for Jake Berger he has been a huge surprise he is the guy that I would take here not to say that Strand couldn't spike a really strong week or that Kepler couldn't but I think Berger just based on the matchups is the guy that I would take a look at here and also we're going to be digging into Jake Berger a lot this offseason 34 homers 71 runs, 79 ribbies, and the batting average doesn't kill you. You know, usually you look at a guy like this and you think, oh, okay, he's probably, you know, 34 homers, big guy like this. He's probably batting in the 220s. Kyle Schwarber syndrome. Haven't seen that. He's batting 251. That's totally acceptable with the other production you've gotten. He is the 135th ranked player, according to Yahoo's algorithm right now. He's been about an 11th rounder in 12-team leagues. 11th round value from a guy you picked up off the wire has been excellent. Uh, big fan of his and a big fan of him going forward as well. I uh, need to rank these three pitchers for my championship week. Cole Reagans, Reese Olsen, and Nick Pavetta. I put Cole Reagans at the top here. He has entered into the ace conversation, uh, the classic Nick Pollock line. Ace is going to ace. Yes, he was ahead of Cole Reagans on everybody, and you got to give him credit there. We already have here on the show. He gets the Tigers later this week in Detroit. I know Comerica is not quite the pitcher-friendly park that it once was. It's still pretty damn friendly. It's like, mm. It's in that middle kind of range, but still skewing more towards the pitcher-friendly side. Cole Reagans in that matchup in that ballpark is a clear number one for me here. I'd have to go with Reese Olsen as the number two guy. Um, actually, that was tonight, this start. I answered the guy earlier in the day. Uh, so far, we got four shutout innings with four strikeouts from Reese Olsen against Kansas City. So that one is going well. Nick Pavetta, I have been very impressed with what he's done. I tweeted it out the other day. He's one of the few pitchers in baseball with a 30% or greater K rate. He gets Baltimore later in the week. It's the shittiest matchup of the three guys, so that's why he is at the end. But I have no problem starting any of these guys. Pavetta, second half Pavetta, has been excellent. And I just think it's probably a little bit too risky because of the matchup. But at the same time, it's not a huge problem for me. I rank him third here because the other two are very strong. But I don't have a problem with it either. Christian Javier, we got a Christian Javier question. Are we starting him tonight against Seattle? This one, I like I said, I answered the guy earlier on Twitter. My answer, and he also had uh, like a second part to it here, um, that he had Jose Alvarado on the bench as well. Also needs saves, could start Alvarado uh, over Javier if it's too risky. I think Alvarado is the safer option, especially if you are in need of saves. Jose Alvarado is just a dominant pitcher. He is lights out, 183 ERA on the season, 60 strikeouts in 39 innings. More of the same from what we saw last year, uh, except he's getting more of a shot with closing uh, with Craig Kimbrell not being great down the stretch. 
I think that he is a safer option. But that being said, uh, he also added that his opponent has a lot of pitchers this week. If you really need the volume, Seattle has been struggling so much. Christian Javier right now is coming off of a good start where he had 11 strikeouts. It's not the worst thing in the world. I'm not in love with it because he has been pretty disappointing as a whole this season. 464 ERA. Strikeouts have gone down. The whip has gone way up. But you're still looking at a pretty decent matchup against a struggling team. If you really need the volume, I have no problem starting Christian Javier there. A uh, guy says, I've been playing Yahoo Roto for three years, and every year I max out on the games played and innings pitched for almost every position long before the season ends. It's set at 1,400 innings. I'm not a huge innings games cap guy, but I think 1,400 innings is roughly what they're like, – if you're playing in a standard setting league, that's generally what the innings cap is going to be regardless. I'm just looking at a couple of my 15-teamers here and seeing the innings pitch that I have for the season – and it's about 1,100. I'm just looking at one league. Uh, just shy of 1,200 in one league. Um, I'm looking at another league here. And it is 1,100 again. Hitting 1,400 innings it leads me to believe that you probably had a lot of starters, which is totally possible. Uh, just pulling up a third league here. And I'm, again, 11, 1,100 innings is, is about what I'm at in all of my leagues this year. To get to 1,400, I think that you either, A, used a lot of starting pitchers, a lot of starting pitchers. And here I am looking at another league where I only have 957 innings pitched. And this is one where I went more reliever heavy. And I have your Aroldis's and your Brian Presley's, Kenley Jansen, uh, Yannir Cano. It's the 15-team league. Um, I don't see getting to 14 without really trying to. Um, just looking at a lot of my leagues, these are 15 teamers, so the options aren't as great. If you're talking about a 12 team league, 10 team league, maybe it's a little bit harder to stay under that limit. I think either you didn't have enough relief pitchers on your squad or you went too heavy with streaming. You said you've been, I'm um, just want to get the exact thing you said here, since June or since July, you've been rationing pitchers. I think you're probably streaming too much at the beginning of the year. That would be my guess because to get to 1,400 innings, you either had a lot of juggernauts going. You either had a lot of Logan Webbs and Miles Michaelis and, and those kind of guys who were throwing a hell of a lot of innings this year, or you just streamed too much at the beginning of the year thinking that there was a lot of great matchups, and potentially, to your credit, maybe there were, but now you're running out of innings because there's just too many guys. I, I don't know how you did it, to be honest with you. Maybe if you had those guys who are your, you know, your Sandy Alcantara's of the world. Not that Sandy Alcantara was even the Sandy Alcantara's of the world this year. But if you had your Logan Webbs, your Zach Gallens, uh, Garrett Cole, Castillo, Framber Valdez, Chris Bassett. If you had enough of these guys, I could see it happening. I would just recommend maybe for next year putting more of an emphasis on those closers, on those relief pitchers. And maybe, you know, and he's saying as well, I, I wasn't benching enough players maybe earlier in the year. That could be a problem as well. Uh, early in the year, we are more inclined, especially in Roto, to just say, oh, we'll deal with it later. We'll look at it in August and September, and we'll see what our stats are looking like. If you have a terrible, terrible matchup, even if it's in April, I wouldn't start him just because you have a long time to catch up, and it can also catch up with you in this way. You might just run out of innings because you had you know, some early season pitcher, whoever it was, throwing 30, 40 of those innings and just being terrible, whoever it was. Um, it's a tricky question because I don't know specifically like who you had, what the, what the league looks like and everything, 10-teamer or 15-teamer or 30-teamer. I don't know. Um, but be careful earlier in the season and be very aware if you do have those limits and kind of just – you never know. and These are all going to go to shit anyway. You kind of have to be on top of this. But when you have your team at the beginning of the year and you have Garrett Cole, say, okay, I'm going to pencil in roughly 200 innings here. Call it 190. 
I drafted Clayton Kershaw, so I'm going to pencil in about 120 innings here. And you look at the projections, you look at what they've done previously, and you use your own your own noggin, and you say, okay, I'm not getting more than 1,200 innings from these guys on my roster, absolute best case. That leaves me roughly 200 innings worth of streaming, blah, blah, blah. You can do all that at the beginning of the year. At this point of the year, it's kind of tricky. You're just kind of fit guys in where you can, depending on your league settings. It might be you might be able to, might be not. Uh, if you're like Steve here, then you might not be able to fit in anybody. Uh, but pay attention from the beginning of the year. Try not to stream too much at the beginning of the year is what I would say as well, especially in those shallower leagues. If it's a 10-team league, you have a lot of great players on your roster. Don't stream. And there's a lot of great waiver wire options too, but don't stream just for the sake of it. Uh, and, you know, that's another thing at the end of the year too. Only stream and use players if you need to. And this is more of a head-to-head thing than a roto thing, but it can apply to both. You don't need to start anybody this week in head-to-head. And each day that goes by, the need to start them goes down and down and down, in my opinion. You might have Blake Snell and Strider and Gosman and, and, you know, call them the top 10 in Cy Young voting in their respective leagues this year, all starting for you this weekend. Just complete hypothetical. I have no idea when these guys are starting their last games. You don't need to start any of them in head-to-head if you think that your situations are already taken care of. Let's say you have a 1.24 ERA this week in 70 innings. Your opponent has a 7.74 ERA this week in the same number of innings. There is nothing they can do to catch up to you. There is absolutely no need to throw any of your starting pitchers. You might throw Cy Young himself out there, and he might give up 10 earned runs and just screw your whole week. And you think, well, I'll start him because he's not going to hurt me. I've made that mistake before. I made it last year with you, Darvish. I forget the whole situation, but it did end up costing me a little bit in one of my head-to-head leagues. Be careful this last week. That's what I'll say to you guys. Don't play guys. Don't stream guys just because, well, I have four ads left this week. I might as well use them. Pick guys up. That doesn't mean you necessarily start them. You know, If you want to try and block your teammate or your league mates from adding somebody, that's totally viable. I hear people shitting on that strategy. You have ads. You want to use them like that? More power to you. Just be careful about the players that are in your starting lineups and the matchups that they have this week. Because this is when it comes down to, right? And this is more of a head-to-head thing, but also a roto thing. If your ratios are really, really, really close and you don't need to risk that J.P. Sears start or that Michaelis start or that whoever fringy kind of guy, then don't do it. If you really need the volume and if you're fighting for strikeouts and wins, then that's when you're more inclined to do it. But don't start anybody just because they have a game this week. That'll do it for us here. We are going to look around the league tomorrow. We're going to talk some streamers as well. We're going to continue to do that uh, through the last week of the season, talk some streamers and matchups, and look at what we have left here on the slate for the next week. There's not a lot, but we are going to be doing that here with you guys on the show. If you have any questions, reach out at JoeOrico99, also at Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB over on the Twitter. You guys get all of our new content over there. Of course, sportsethos.com is the website. If you guys are not using social medias, totally, totally get it. Go to sportsethos.com and you get all of our great content there. We launched a very cool tool yesterday on the NBA side. We have a draft tracker now. Uh, If you guys are drafting NBA, hopefully we'll have this down the road for baseball as well. If you're drafting for your fantasy basketball drafts, you can have the draft tracker uh, powered by our projections, our in-house projections, help you get through your draft. So that is a really cool piece of technology we have unveiled over the last couple days. Make sure you're checking it out. It's all over the place at sportsethos.com. That'll do it for me. Enough rambling. Go watch some baseball. Enjoy your evening or your morning if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Uh, But until tomorrow, guys, take care. Have a great night. Cheers.